Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who have not read manga before. Hosted by myself, David Brothers, Deb Aoki, Christopher Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky, uh, you can follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. And this week, I'm hosting once again. This time, it was one of my choices. We're going to be talking about Nobuaki uh, Tadano's Seven Billion Needles. We're actually doing an entire series review this time. I think a first for the uh, podcast. It's four volumes. It was published by Vertical Inc. in like 2010, basically forever ago. And <laughs> I liked it quite a bit at the time, which is mo- mo- the main reason why I uh, recommended it was it really made an impression on me to the point where I'm pretty sure a pull quote on the back of the last volume is from one of my reviews. Oh, wow. And, it is. It is. I it saw, is, I saw really? That. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> And I really wanted to get <laughs> Chip's take because I think that it's sort of straightforward sci-fi in a way that we haven't really picked up yet. Like, Akira's very heady and, like, you know, you know a titan of the genre. Mermaid Saga's kind of weird and short story-oriented. But this is just a straight-up, like, ongoing series. It tells one story and then it's done. So I thought it would be cool to get his take. And I think instead of starting with Chip, we're going to start with Deb and ask uh, what she thought about Seven Billion Needles. It's kind of weird because it's it's been like like you said several years since I've read this, mm-hmm. so I almost it's almost like reading it fresh again because I have forgot the ending. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do like it a lot. It's it's uh, very cosmic and yet very very human. Mm-hmm. I mean, the theme about the the girl who's shut off from the world and then she kind of opens up thanks to some bizarre alien from. <laughs> <laughs> There's like. The art sometimes, like especially when the, they start mutating, reminds me of Mobius a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I guess, yeah, I mean, it was it was it's a nice four volume journey. Although that's fair. one thing that's kind of hard for me was hard for me about reading this book was the character design. Mm-hmm. In that, all the girls look so similar. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was a little hard for me to figure out. Okay, so which girl is this happening to now? Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, the twist where one girl wears the other girl's uh, hairband, and the yeah. monster's like, "Oh, obviously that's her." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, so the monster had the same problem I did, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> I should be a good host and explain a little bit about what the book is about. Mm. So it's loosely inspired by Needle, a uh, golden age sci-fi novel by Hal Clement, I think published in 1950. And it stars a young girl named uh, Hikaru, who's sort of the, if you know the lo-fi hip-hop beats to study to girl, she's sort of the same archetype of very (laughs) shy, kind of closed in on herself, but secretly cool and cute at the same time. She goes on a school trip, she gets hit by a meteor and is completely disintegrated. And then wakes up in class a few days later because the meteor that hit her had an alien that reconstituted her body. And now she has to basically save the Earth from an evil entity called Maelstrom. While the good guy is called Horizon, the one inside her body. Chris, how did the story strike you? I have very mixed feelings about it. I gotta be honest. I have uh, complicated mixed feelings about it. Mm. I do want to say, I kind of want to talk about the book in like a real way. So, spoilers. It's going to be heavily... Spoilers, because there's like two, maybe three pretty big twists in the book that I want to be able to talk about without like. So if you if you really want to read Seven Billion Needles and don't want it spoiled for you before you do, <laughs> maybe pause this podcast recording and make it your way to your local digital book retailer. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm so glad 
that we decided to read the entire series. That's what I want to say first and foremost, because I actually took me three days to two days to pick it up again after I finished the first volume because I just didn't want to read the rest. Wow. I, wow. I not, not into it. Um, I love manga so much and I've devoted so much of the last 30 years of my life, eh, 25 years of my life to it. So when I say this, it's it's with a lot of love, but this was so manga in a way that was so <laughs> off-putting. And it was, yeah. I am glad that the twist happened at the end of the second volume where, you know, it's not just a horizon in her body, but Maelstrom as well. And it was like, oh, this is the first thing that's happened that wasn't telegraphed and obvious. And I felt a lot better about the story <laughs> from the third volume onwards. Mm-hmm. I liked, oh, and, you know, while I'm bitching, uh, here we go. The lettering <gasps> is among the worst I've ever seen in a comic. Yes! Oh, my God. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'd forgotten I feel like that entirely. <laughs> I feel like whoever, the worst I've ever seen is unfortunately on Taiyo Matsumoto's number five, uh, which is a digital only version. And they lettered this seven volume graphic novel digital thing in fucking comic sans. <laughs> like, because they just, they were like, oh, an expert said it's very readable and it's like new. So yeah, that one's almost unreadable to me and I really love his work. This one, every single time the letters touched the edge of the balloon, I was like, it just threw me out of the story with rage again, uh, over and over and over again. And it's, with rage. it's like, it's like was, seven I was so angry. needles of, of like irritation. Yeah. Yeah. Like not only did so, and it happened seven billion fucking times. <laughs> not only did a letterer, air quotes, do that, an editor signed off on it. And I can't believe how disappointed I am in that. So that that's my biggest problem uh, visually. Like the art was the art or whatever. But uh, like all of that said, as soon as I picked up the second volume, it, it accelerated a little bit in a way I thought was good. And the twist in the third volume, I was like, oh, I legitimately haven't seen this before. Where like, mm-hmm. oh, actually, they beat the bad guy halfway through. And now the bad guy and the good guy are just living inside of this sort of protagonist who isn't sure what's going to happen next. And I think it kind of spirals out of control a little bit after that. Uh, it felt very much like, <laughs> OK, you can keep writing the story. And they're like, what? Uh okay, I guess two volumes. Here we go. So yeah. I'm really curious. I want to hear. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go at all before. Uh, I wanted to, like everyone else to talk about it first, so that I didn't rain on everyone's parade. No, this is great. Yeah, <laughs> I no. really wanna. I really wanna know how it relates to the original story, which I haven't read. Which I think David, you said you had read the original story. Uh, I read the original story like ten years ago, though. Oh wow, that's good. That's you know that's <laughs> anything because I haven't read it. But but yeah, I I found it. I would rate it a solid six and a half out of 10. And I found it weirdly amateurish in mm. so many different ways. The plotting, especially. Yeah, we can get into it if you want to, but uh, I've talked long enough about my thoughts. All right, Chip. I thought I want uh, I, I to hear you first, David, since oh, you recommended yeah. it. Because I want, I want the balance there to Chris. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, interesting because, like, you know, I liked it so much 10 years ago. And now, you know, I'm a much different person, changed my name, moved across the country. And uh, I still like it. But there's, like, the lettering actually was much worse than I remember, like, distractingly. So uh, there are a few, like, kind of things I felt were editorial oversights. Like, at one point, the number three is used to refer to a group of people. And that's, like, a no-no mm-hmm. in any kind of writing versus like spelling it out but despite that i think the story was still really interesting and it was moving but also now i know i've seen other works that kind of do every single trope in this book differently 
so we're sort of a variations on a theme sort of a deal. So like when all of the different subspecies and things are kind of swarming over the earth, I'm like, oh, well, it's like Tetsuo and Akira. Small spoilers for Chip. Um, <laughs> even the headphones girl is like someone we've seen over and over again. Like the teenager having their body obliterated by an alien being then still having to go to school and you know do finals. It's in Parasite. It's in Inuyashiki. It's in so many other stories. Mm-hmm. And I think it was still pretty good. I definitely don't like it as much as I did 10 years ago, mm. but I enjoyed rereading it kind of like with my new 30 something eyes. Yeah. I want to uh, pay the artist to go back and add scenes to it <laughs> that were not, that I feel are missing from the original, <laughs> but anyway, sorry, Chip, I didn't mean to step on your toes there. I feel like you were going to jump in. No, no. I mean, I, I, I weirdly, I agree with all of you. Mm-hmm. Like across the board, I, I had difficulty with the uh, the similarities between the 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 girl characters, especially the fact that at one point you end up going kind of inside her mind and you see the two different versions of her <laughs> yeah. inside as well. Yeah. I was like, what? Why would you do that and have everyone else like? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because like uh, you know, I've only read one volume of Akira, mm. but I, I kind of just know enough just of Akira in general to be like, oh, this came out after Akira, and this person loved Akira. Like yeah. as soon as everything started <laughs> mutating, I'm just like, oh yeah, okay, I see that. The art was a little over all over the map for me, mm-hmm. but I've, I found that to be a thing so far with almost all the uh, manga, uh, except Rumiko Takahashi, really, mm. who's probably the most consistent artist out of everyone. Uh, Otomo as well, I suppose. But yeah, here is like there'll be a, there'll be pages where I'm just like, oh, that's really well thought out and beautiful. Some really nice environments and some nice posing. And then sometimes it'll just be like, oh, you drew that face like on a napkin. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> there is one panel that's maybe the best worst drawing of a dog I've ever seen, and I can't find it. Oh, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the cats are just terrible. Like, yeah, they, they draw really great are. swans, but the cats are terrible. <laughs> yeah, and there's a there's like a style thing that's going on with the faces, where it's a face and profile, but the mouth is facing you. Yeah, that's which like I'm a just real... like that's a style thing, and I'm just mm. like it's not it doesn't help at anything. Um, yeah. So I mean, uh, artistically, every once in a while, I was kind of rewarded by reading it with something quite lovely that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. And and so so the art you know serves the story. the The story though, all the sci fi stuff just lost me. Hmm. Like like perhaps because I'm stupid, but also perhaps because <laughs> I just found it uh, uh, boring. Like as soon as they started talking about like evolutions or micro evolutions or whatever, uh, I was just like, what? Like okay, that's a duck. Okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> is this a fight scene? I don't know. Like like. A lot of it just felt like just kind of making it up on the spot or mm. just a translation thing, which is like, oh, okay, maybe this this works for the story. Yeah. For to set up the scene that comes next. But a lot of it just felt like just weird random explanations that didn't actually help me enjoy the story. Mm. I have this weird I have this weird thing too, the Horizon Maelstrom. I did not see that twist coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, that was really good. Like uh, the, the setup's just so weird. Like they're oh, they're opposing forces, and one's hunting the other, and the one's bad. And but it turns out the one that's bad ain't so bad after all. 
That's a shonen trope. It's such a shonen trope. But, but, well, but, you beat but, him, but, so now he has to join your team. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> weird for these like entities that have lived for I'm assuming like <laughs> millions of years or whatever. But it, the, the the funny thing is, this pulls off something that I, I often talk about and, and think should be done, where Horizon and Maelstrom both talk in a very uh, easygoing manner. Mm. Yeah. Like colloquial kind of, you know, like, yeah, you shut up. What? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, in theory, I like that a lot because it makes sense because why would, you know, whenever you see aliens or whatever depicted in movies or, you know, uh, uh, higher intelligences and they know the language, but they always speak it in a stilted, weird way. Like, yeah. well, if you're that smart, like you can, you can say, <laughs> Hey, what's up? Instead of, hello, what is up with you? Like, <laughs> there's not a big leap there, logically. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to imagine that's like an intentional decision here to do it that way. Mm. It, it weirdly, even though I've thought about this before, it still took me out of the story a fair amount. Mm-hmm. When, when these beings of infinite power that have traveled across space are just extremely casual. It reminds me of Jason of Aaron writing Thor a little bit. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, where it goes from Shakespearean to like, no, we're, let's get drunk this weekend. And you're like, what? <laughs> I mean, that's in character, yes, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. So it, it's, a, it's a strange one for me. I actually, I mean, I don't know all the tropes, mm-hmm. so I wasn't tripped up by them, anything being really tropey in this, the way Chris was. Mm-hmm. You know, the Japanese schoolgirl felt like it could be a weird trope and you know having this whole school life while these monster things keep happening yeah and the school is somehow just still going on as if nothing's happened felt like it could be a trope but i i I actually did enjoy the parts where it kind of talks about like her family and her father and Mm -hmm. they go Mm -hmm. back to the island that felt natural in the story that i was most interested in Besides the the monsters and the the space stuff, yeah. And the med- and who's that guy? The mediator? Who's that guy? The moderator. <laughs> the moderator <laughs> with the terrible abs. It got really Jim Starlin towards the end there. Yeah, very very Jim Starlin. It, it, it did feel like writing a thing where it's like, oh, I guess we can keep going. Well, who can we have show up? And what's their deal? And how do we make yeah. this work? So yeah, I mean, but but besides all that, like I liked her as a character. This still felt like it skewed a little young mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me, but but not young in a fun way, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. Suba felt like young in a fun way. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, I appreciate this thing that's young. Whereas this felt more, maybe I would have liked it more in my early 20s, mm. my late teens or something like that, right? Yeah, it did run in a men's magazine, mm. like men oh, for yeah. adult men, like, I guess, 20, 30-somethings. It's actually the same yeah. kind of magazine that Yatsuba would have run in. Oh, that's true, isn't so it? Weird. Yeah, it's it kind of, but it's MediaWorks though. Before they got a, acquired by Katakawa. Sorry, that's a really inside baseball thing. But it's like, yeah, it basically got run. It got acquired by a super otaku-oriented publisher. A lot of manga is like published for the general public that happens to breeder like manga and MediaWorks, which which was ASCII and a bunch of other companies. But like all this shit is fucking hardcore for for nerds. It was like one of the first companies to really start <laughs> looking 
inward towards like, oh, instead of publishing stuff and maybe the otaku will like it, why don't we only publish stuff that otaku will like? So like Dance in the Vampire Bund was also like a huge one that was in the same magazine as this that was released. And it's just like, oh, it's a it's a it's a cute ageless vampire trapped in the body of a 13 year old doing sexy things like and it was a huge seller when it came out Uh, and there's just like lots and lots of of that so it's like this is a really sophisticated story for i feel like that kind of audience but i do feel that there's yeah it's it just like there's just some things with the art and the Mm -hmm. the way the story unfolds that do lead me to believe that it's like this was the weird story. This was the weird story they had in the magazine at the time, but you still, you're not that weird if you're in this magazine that's all this other kind of, you know what I mean? Like nerd shit. I don't know. It's like how, it's like how Ed Brubaker couldn't kill the Joker, even though he should have in, in Gotham Central. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, we tried to kill him. The, the higher up said no, and we had to do it because at the end of the day, this is still Batman. And it's like, yes, that's what this is. This is like, you're trying to do all these little things. But at the end of the day, if there's not cute schoolgirls having, you know, deep, meaningful friendships, then the seat's canceled. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, what was the most objectionable part for you? They didn't draw this dude's dick. Just draw the dick. It's fucking so distracting. I didn't expect that. Uh, well, the lettering actually was the worst. But so yeah. they introduced this moderator character who's this like floating, naked, glowing sort of dude, Dr. Manhattan style. And they just like, it looks like it's partially drawn and then censored, or it's drawn, it's censored and drawn in a different way every panel. And I would say 75% of the panels he's in cut off just like at the thighs just pull the dick like they wanted to put it in there in every panel (laughs) and someone somewhere was like white marker white marker white marker it was very that second half it was very distracting because like and i'm not even joking i'm gonna put this panel on the show notes but like this panel right here (laughs) like the center of attention of that panel all of the leading lines lead to his dick like it's not just me making this shit up so Yeah. (laughs) yeah that second half where it's like Oh my God. And yeah, like the abs and the fact that like, oh, the part where the other part that really tripped me up art wise, because there's just like, there's a general, this could be so much better. Um, (laughs) No, it could like, there's, there's so many building blocks here to create a really, really strong story. And I just, I don't know if it was editorially, they were let down. They were definitely let down in some of the choices to bring it to North America. But there's but there's still there's stuff here. Like you're an outcast kid who gets ultimate power. That is such a cool fantasy. People respond to that shit. To get mm-hmm. obliterated and rebuilt, to have these two literal warring ideas of like absolute cosmic good and absolute cosmic evil living in your fucking head. Like that's that's just something that 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 yeah, teens, uh, young people, people in their twenties should absolutely be able to relate to. And it just feels it feels a little bit let down, but uh, yeah, there, the when the final battle between Maelstrom and, and Horizon, where she wakes up inside her own mind, Maelstrom recreates it. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, when she wakes up in that field, I thought that she had reverted to a child because all of a sudden huh. he just started drawing her like four heads high instead of like five or six heads high, like she had been drawn throughout the story. It's at the beginning. It's maybe at the beginning or the middle of chapter two or, or a book two or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, that was just like. I had gotten over my confusion with the face issue. I'd gotten over my confusion with <laughs> the like, he does this thing that 
at the beginning of uh, scenes where they're trying to set the scene, there'll be like little snippets of conversations of people walking by and stuff like that with little word balloons. And I found that really distracting the first couple times it was used in the last book, especially at the end, it's a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's just a scene where she wakes up in this field and she's back on the island and she learns the truth about how her dad died. And it's supposed to be this like revelatory thing, but she's drawn even worse there for some reason. And I didn't get that it was supposed to be her as a grown-up or as a, as a teenager until she encounters child her again. And it's like, oh, you're even shorter now. And that was the thing where I was just like, what is actually going on with this? Like, this is really, this is really weird. But I like so, and I, I don't know, this is like Yotsa Ball over again. Like, this is good and I, it was good that it was printed and I want people <laughs> to read it, but I want it to have been better for them. Uh, yes. is, is where I'm at because there are so many things here that get you like such good hooks into you like for example this is absolutely a post-Evangelion manga this is yeah. like you, if you've if you've watched Evangelion Neon Genesis Evangelion which is an anime or read the manga which is by Yoshiki Saramoto there are bits of him all over this like all of his work mm-hmm. is, is really referenced here even those like profile shots that chip called out that those are awful like where the mouth would be showing there's a good way to do that (laughs) and satamoto does it really well and this artist like drops the ball a little bit but then just goes loves that loves that profile shot like every other page it's like such an easy go-to drawing and it's you Mm -hmm. know i used to draw i used to like my go-to drawings as well because they always looked kind of similar but uh (laughs) but yeah i guess that was the most yeah, the dick was the biggest problem for me. <laughs> lettering, lettering in the dick. Lettering, dick, inconsistently drawing the lead character. That's a pretty yeah, good I don't list. Know. Uh, well, That's sorry. quite the list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of tropes, oh, the gay guy didn't like the way the dicks were drawn. <laughs> uh, way to go. Way to set the movement forward. I feel like a failure as a straight woman to not, not have noticed, the, to not be wanting to see this. No, either draw it or don't draw it. That's like, but don't do whatever it is that this person did. I don't know. <laughs> Dad, tell us a couple of things you yeah. liked about it to balance out Chris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone's picking on me again. Oh, I, I do. I'm a little sad that the print version is out because I thought the cover designs were great. Oh, mm. yeah. They're fantastic. That's my favorite part. Yeah, they were designed by Peter Mendelssohn. They actually have back cover credit for the designer, which is cool. Yeah, he designed all of the post-Chip Kid vertical stuff, and it all looks really good. Uh, I I really like his design sensibility a lot. Because it looks like a a pulp uh, science fiction novel from the 60s, and I think that's really, Mm -hmm. that's a nice touch. Mm -hmm. Um, It is too bad that it's out of print in the volumes three and four now, or like some ridiculous amount. It's also a little annoying that it's only available on uh, Kindle and not Comicology, because the Kindle reader from the iPad is so annoying. Yeah. For gra- well, for graphic novels, because it's like, I'll I'll flip the page and then I'll see only one third of the page. Yeah. And then I have to tap it to see the rest of the page. It's like, ah. Are you reading on your phone? <laughs> on oh, my no, iPad. You said iPad. Mm. If you double tap, it should zoom out to like full screen. Because I've been reading it two up, like. Two I am pages too, but I'm just saying screen. that like it will only show it'll show me only like literally like only a little bit of the page. Um, I, got, I got mine through Apple Books, and it, it was fine, except for that annoying thing that we talked about last time with the the fake <laughs> the fake spine, the, the fake spine, the crease. And I just updated it too, so mm. it was just driving me nuts. 
Yeah. You know what doesn't have that problem? Real books. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Though I will say my real copies are Digital. weirdly sticky now that they're 10 years old and the gloss and mat is starting to come off. Oh, I'm glad so you got to that perfect, in real books, Chris. No, nothing's perfect. <laughs> but no, that is true. That is part of this conversation, I think, is the availability of it. Yeah, we should have mentioned that at the outset. <laughs> but yeah. this is the first book we did, we did where it's only available digitally. You can't get physical copies of it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, Andrew yeah. is furious with me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's good. It's good. I mean, you could. I mean, I used to make a... I used to kind of make a thing of going to comic book stores and looking in the dusty stacks. Mm -hmm. And I, I would find like like manga that is out of print and that the comic shop owner doesn't know is worth 60 bucks. Ooh, Deb's a Sidori. Do you want to, <laughs> today's word is Sedori, which means which book hunter. It's where you go, where you're the kind of person who goes to like Japanese used bookstores searching for hidden treasures, things that are worth a lot of money and then buying them and reselling them. They are treated with mixed feelings. Yeah, <laughs> the scum of the earth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not unlike finding a 40 Forty thousand dollar, like Ming Ming vase at a at a Goodwill. Garage you know? sale. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a little rush to that. <laughs> I need to hang out at work Goodwills. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The presentation was really strong for seven billion needles. Mm -hmm. Like imitating the Penguin paperback approach. I think that adds to the sci-fi atmosphere for me as well. Like this feels like a story that would have been from back then. I suppose. Yeah. And it really, the presentation also really made the lettering seem even worse. Yeah. I was really, when I saw the cover, I'm like, oh, this is going to look good. And then I saw the lettering and while it didn't hurt me as much as it hurt Chris, it still hurt my soul a little bit. So David, you, you read the original novel and I was, I admit, I only read the synopsis on Wikipedia. Yeah. It sounds so different. Uh, it's been forever since I've read it, so take whatever I say with a grain of salt, but I remember it being really boring <laughs> compared to modern books, you know? Like, it's definitely like an old-school sci-fi novel. It's not as exciting as this. It's more about the, um, like, finding a way to cooperate with this thing mm -hmm. that's in your body. Yeah. Well, this just kind of skips that. It's like, hey, listen, you can jump really high and do weird things with your hands now. So, like, let's, let's go save the world. It starts out with that, though. It talks about its moral code and how it's not going to take over her body without her assent, even though yeah. it had already done it twice. And I <laughs> thought that that felt really old school sci-fi. Mm -hmm. There are there are things in here. There are like really complicated ideas that come out of like fifties and sixties uh, sci-fi and futurism that are, I don't know, by the end just discarded to have Akira fights. But uh, I mean, is it weird to me that it seems like this is a, a girl written by a man? No, well, I think it, it totally is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Like, there's something about, like, this type of character, I think, as well, um, that, like, always gets, like, a she's all that kind of treatment, if you remember mm. that. <laughs> I don't. Please refresh me. <laughs> there's a movie, uh, very famous amongst millennials, where there's a super nerdy, ugly girl, and she takes off her glasses at the dance, and it's like, whoa, she's actually hot. Okay, it's yeah, that. that's yeah, that's that's a story throughout time. That's <laughs> pop Pygmalion, culture, right? I think. Like, if it was only that easy, <laughs> right? <laughs> she just has to take off her headphones, exactly, to reconnect yeah. with people, and yeah. that's such like a tropey thing. To, like, it's not a bad trope. I think like community yeah. and connection, friendship. Like, it makes me cry. I'm in my thirties. Like, it is what it is. Aww, that's yeah. nice. 
But I liked how this book did a good job of kind of pointing everything towards community. Like yeah. both Maelstrom and Horizon are like, oh, we were alone when we were in pursuit of each other or like trying to get away from uh, the conflict between each other. But now we're together and things are better. We're something new. Uh, she had to relearn how to be like a friend to people. Her aunt had to figure out how to like help her fit in. Like it always comes back to like, you're more than just yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it with the aliens too. At that point I was like, okay, this is like the Disney hammer, the moral home like side of things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Until all the souls on earth become a giant floating naked ray. Yeah. Who then ravages the earth some more, which is the end of, Evangelion spoilers. <laughs> I popped to, in the chat window. I popped the cover. It's the original uh, Seven Billion Needles, the Japanese edition. Oh. I want to get your takes because I feel like it actually better represents what the story is and the intention of the story than mm. the redone covers do. Yeah, it's a way more modern. I think. Yeah. Like obviously, it looks like the color pages from the beginning of each volume. Yeah. Yeah, which I but, did not care for. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> I actually thought that color looked really good. You didn't like it, eh? No. It, it was just, it was like, it wasn't, it didn't aid anything. It didn't help anything. If anything, it just kind of, it, mm. and it didn't even distract you from the flaws in the art. Like, I, I found it just like, like, just bad. I love this ongoing <laughs> chip versus co- color segment. <laughs> Like some sometimes sometimes it works, but, but pretty rarely. Yeah. Yeah. These these things are just like these are black and white artists, very very clearly, mm-hmm. for the most part. And the color is just like, especially in this case, this is out of out, out of everything we've seen so far, this is the most clear cut a black and white artist forcing color into the thing. Mm-hmm. Like because the the monochrome. He uses it like tones in the beginning of volume three with the dinosaurs inside of the housing complex and i actually think it's pretty effective but it is a limited color palette very deliberately it's not a work it doesn't feel like something that was done for color specifically necessarily but i thought it was okay yeah i think if i had gone into the book if i had picked up the book and this was the cover i'd have a i'd have a clearer idea of what it was going to be like making it look like a 60s sci-fi novel because that's sort of its origins that's what it was inspired by maybe not quite adapted from but inspired by i think it the work doesn't live up to that but it does actually live up to a lot of contemporary like it's a little bit isekai it's a little bit you know what i mean like like Mm. this it's absolutely a dude dealing with his own loneliness that probably should have just made this character a guy so that it didn't come (laughs) off as a teenage girl written by a guy and have that problem but they like yeah the hikomori thing the like the like lonely housebound otaku thing like someone who's cut themselves off from the world like She's not, yeah, it's it's all like, there's so many pieces of this that I think could be just like tweaked a little bit to make it better. Like even yeah. the Hikamori thing, like Inuyashiki, when that dude gets basically this treatment, and you, you've read, you guys have read Inuyashiki except for Chip, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh. I like... I like that as much. I, I like that better where this dude gets obliterated and rebuilt with, you know, by a mysterious force. And then like goes around and just like mutilates bad people <laughs> like that seems closer like this girl gets absolute power and she's like yeah i'm just gonna like keep going to school and not talking to anybody it's like no she clearly doesn't want to be there she would just fucking leave like it mm-hmm. like little things like that that i feel like 
are done better in other places. But this brings a lot of those ideas together. And I really like, yeah, I like it despite myself, I think. But I do want things. Oh, so here's here's one. Maybe yeah. I'm out to lunch here, but this is a story one. So Chica, who becomes the sort of ultimate antagonist at the end of the series, is introduced like one page before she gets the like dark powers that are going to whatever her. But that's that happens. And there's two and a half. There's two books that happened before that where they're in that classroom where that character could have been introduced, mm-hmm. uh, where you could have gotten a sense of her being bullied that would have made the story so much more powerful when she got this sort of dark power and you would have felt like her loneliness more and you would have felt like her journey a little bit more. But it's like, no, they got to a point they're like, oh, we need to figure out who the antagonist is for the next next chapter, like the, the end of the book. Let's, in, let's introduce a character and immediately make them the antagonist. There's no weight there. Mm-hmm. Even in the in the beginning of the book, where like the guys writing her to come back to the island to like you know pray her father's grave, blah blah blah. Like he's introduced a couple chapters before they go back to the island. At least that's something. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that's just like an example of what I'm trying to get at. With I think if there just been a little bit more care put in at like a conceptual stage, at an editorial stage, mm-hmm. this book would have would have just like leveled up considerably. Yeah, in my estimation, yeah. I think a lot of that is shorthand. Um, I think a lot of what we understand about her, we understand because we've seen characters like her before, Mm. like the recent tragedy in the family new to the school. So she doesn't have friends. Um, it's like, Mm. there's a trope in anime and manga where the person sitting in the desk by the window, just like gazes out of the window all the time. That's the main character. Like that's always the main character. She always gets a sweet (laughs) seat by the window. Oh, okay. And even, you know, the two girls that she makes friends with, there's like the pretty one and the sporty one. um, And they're both boy crazy. Uh, There's so many things in here that I think are just kind of in the, in the mix, like culturally Mm. that I think there are some things where I just filled in the blanks myself. I was like, oh, well, this is why this relationship is that way. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one thing that I was thinking about with this series. It's kind of, Similar, similarly out of left field, maybe. Okay. Which is the treatment of secret identities in manga versus superhero comics. Okay. Oh, how's that? So say in Spider-Man, he keeps his identity a secret because uh, it would put Aunt May in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still goes out and like fights because it's the right thing to do. In this one, there's such a division between the super life and the home life that it's almost like we never know why she doesn't tell her aunt that like she has powers now, you know? Like there's no yeah. connection between the supernatural and the extremely natural. And I think that kind of hurts it a little bit. Or the, you don't have to tell me what happened at the gym. I'll still be your friend. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but you could just tell her and like bring everyone up to speed and maybe Chip wouldn't feel so lost while he's reading. <laughs> <laughs> and like she was in a gym that exploded. Like even if that's just the cover story, like that's, you don't just cancel school for two weeks, you know, and yeah. keep moving. It's funny. There, there's a, the one scene where she catches the ball or whatever, and her oh, yeah. Yeah. weird, disgusting arm goes and does it. <laughs> I'm just like, well, she doesn't. She's not trying to hide it. Yeah, and she's but it's not also even not a thing she's out. talking about. It's it's like a thing she just does not care about at all, mm-hmm. and it's just annoying when the voices start up in the head. Yeah, that's very very weird. Uh, though I did love they added the goose, the swan to the, oh, the swan, yeah, to the mix because it's such. A stupid twist, but it's so good. <laughs> that, that was anime to me. That was that was when I was yeah. like, "This is so manga." It was just like, and now that he can draw a goose, so the man- manga's got a goose in it. <laughs> you gotta like, have a mascot. <laughs> just, just everyone flying on her back. Yeah, 
Yeah. And there was some, I think, genuinely good funny bits in here where her one friend is like, I knew that the giant flying swan was you because you're my weirdest friend. And she's like, <laughs> I don't, am I okay with this? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's one thing that, it's a thing I've thought about before and I'm glad it was addressed here, mm-hmm. that um, it's the scene where uh, she's there with the clothes and Horizon's like, don't worry, I formed your skin cells oh! like clothing. <laughs> Neat, right? <laughs> Even the texture. And I've thought about that so much with Mystique from X-Men. Yeah, it's gross. Every time... She, Every time she shapes shifts, and you know she's got like clothes on, people touch the clothes. Like, like she is nude. That's she's. <laughs> there's nothing there. That's her skin. <laughs> All that fabric, a cape or whatever, it's her skin. That's disgusting. I never yeah. thought of it that way. Yeah, well, it's now, horrible. Now you'll never think of it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> Why do things have to make sense? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I really like the scene where she discovers that Maelstrom's in her head. Because mm-hmm. it's just so stupid. Yeah. Mm, that was like, fun. Like the page, is, uh, it's just Horizon saying, there's someone I have to introduce you to. And she's like, well, what are you talking about? And all of a sudden it's like, Maelstrom, so we meet again, Hikaru. And she's like, huh? <laughs> and Horizon goes, sorry, it's Maelstrom. It's <laughs> <laughs> such, such a stupid thing. And I can't tell if it's meant to be funny or not. I think it has sorry. to be. It's got yeah, it to be, right? Yeah. There's definitely a line that I enjoy with manga and anime in general where there's, like a friend calls it serious about stupid. <laughs> where they'll, okay. they'll yeah, do yeah. the really dumb plot twist, but like they'll commit to the bit and it yeah. just elevates everything. I um, love that. That is a great <laughs> phrase. <laughs> it's, it's so true because the, 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 the follow-up to that was uh, the scene when Maelstrom was supposed to destroy itself yeah mm. <laughs> horizon goes you promise destroy yourself and it's just a beat maelstrom goes no <laughs> <laughs> the horizon's like what damn you you promised <laughs> he's just like nah i, I didn't like, know i couldn't do that i know i i i, I laughed a lot at that <laughs> yeah there's i think that exchange sort of exemplifies how slapdash the sci-fi stuff is uh you mentioned it throwing you off and i think it's because it doesn't quite hang together because they just got to earth except they also killed the dinosaurs and sparked evolution and then they can just leave the planet just because with a bunch of other species like things just happen because they have to happen yeah Mm. yeah that's the feeling like just to progress to another scene yeah uh, with a with a cool cooler thing to draw because I don't think sure. a macro evolution would just be a bunch of new animals running over the earth. No. <laughs> and also, Maelstrom's original plan was to kill everything on Earth one by one. And mm. Which would take I don't a long buy time. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like trying to kill ants in your, in your kitchen by just, just pressing on each one with your index finger. Yeah, and then pretending to be an ant to kill the next ant. Like, it, that's not going <laughs> to... <laughs> annoying <laughs> just get the spray yeah so i think it's no wonder that like the the personal stuff the community stuff kind of was the strongest in here yeah mm. chip were you familiar with the the shut-in character type uh hikikomori um i'm only familiar in the sense that it's me okay based on a true story <laughs> yeah based on a true story 
No, but I mean the 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 shy the shy teenager. Yeah, feels like a thing that's in uh, a lot of stories. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not familiar with it obviously through manga or anime tropes. Like mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't strike me as a very new thing. Okay. Here, if that makes sense. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. There's a yeah. real disconnect in this between the idea of a hikikomori and what she is, which is someone who whose father was harassed until he was murdered. <laughs> like this is not someone who's <laughs> shut, who's like shutting themselves al- alone from the world. Cause it's too much, which is like, you know, also real, but mm-hmm. like she lived in an Island where her, her father was harassed every day. And then he fucking wound up pushed off a cliff. Like she's dealing with like PTSD and real psychological issues. Like there's real stuff here. This isn't, she's shy and you know doesn't want to talk to people it's like her dad was fucking murdered like and no one is doing anything about that 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 was the thing like yeah her aunt's reaching out to her taking her in i think that was really cool i actually wish there was more of the aunt relationship the little bit at the beginning with the the aunt and uncle being like kind of goofy young parents taking care of this teenage girl it's not much like that could have been really fun and well explored but instead it's just like yeah i don't I don't know. It should have. Uh, it, yeah, they they needed more space also to make that, frankly, less goofy and awkwardly expositioned. If that makes sense, like I've got yeah. the page up now, and it's like you can't blame her. Her family just passed away. I'm like, what? Like, who would say that? <laughs> and then, like, it's also your family. Like, she's saying it. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then he goes, "I can't, I can't replace your brother, her father." Yeah, but that I'd was like the worst. Ap- that was the but I'd like this apartment to be a home she can always return to. And then she like laughs and like, oh, I'll listen to you trying to sound mature or what? Like, what? Like, that's your brother that died. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, it, like the, the, it's one page where it's just like, it was so awkwardly done. I'm just like, if you spread this out over a few pages, like just took away some of the, you know, the weird monster stuff mm-hmm. and just had them just have an actual conversation about this then it wouldn't feel as a kind of like jammed in and forced and again, exposition dumping. Cause yeah, cause I, I, I like them. I, I like the ant and I kind of wanted to explore her and why she's just fine there. Mm-hmm. Like she's okay. She's laughing, talking about her dead brother, but then she's just torn up and she can't like get through to Hikaru. Like there seems like a disconnect there between those modes of the character that, with a bit more space, they could have done more. With, they I could think. have added one line that was like, oh yeah, I hated my brother, but his daughter was cool. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why you're an editor. <laughs> this is why you're good at your job, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hated my brother. I mean, personally, I'm glad he's dead, but I feel bad for her. Exactly. <laughs> This might have been the author's first comic. From mm. all the research I was doing, he's done other stuff that's come out subsequently. The art looks stronger, but I think this might yeah. have been a first work, and it it feels like it, a. Eh? But also, it really you get to the end of volume two, and you don't really need any more. Like it actually that's, like that's wraps up like it's the the end of the series because uh, mm-hmm. it even had like it. Like that last panel is she put the incense on the gravestone and that's like the the end of it. And they even in the the volume I've got here, it's like, this isn't the end. I swear to God, there's a third volume. Please keep reading. Uh, <laughs> the hunt is not over. Um, yeah. So I, I thought maybe that whole second half of the book, which is where it gets really sort of weird. And like it was like, OK, you're coming up to the end of the second book. 
are you going to end it or do you want to continue it? If you're going to continue it, you got to come up with a big twist. And it's like, what if they both live in her head? That's mm-hmm. really cool. And then I think that that second half, the story with like the moderator and where the sci-fi really goes off the rails, maybe wasn't part of the original series pitch. Like maybe this wasn't something uh, he had considered as an author. So I think, I don't know, we can't, we can't be inside the author's head, but it does feel really disconnected from the first half. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting yeah. that I think that means that volumes one and two kind of comprise a more satisfying story, but the interesting stuff really starts in three and four. Well, it's when he gets a little bit, he gets outside of himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've got this story I want to tell that's, and it's probably, I mean, you would know, it feels like the first half is a closer adaptation of the original book. And then the second half is like, all right, let's just go from there. And like, what if there's a third force that's a moderating force? And what if there's this and evolution and whatever? Like the, the second half feels even more Japanese sci-fi to me than yeah. North American <laughs> sci-fi. This came out at a point when, um, you know, sometimes you find a publisher and pretty much everything they make is like up your alley. Mm. Vertical Ink was like that for me with manga for a very long time. Uh, from yeah. this book, pretty much all the ads in the back of 7 Billion Needles for books like <laughs> yeah. Cheese Sweet Home, Twin Speaker, Peepo Chu, which was a blast from the past to see. Mm. Uh, all those were very much kind of like my books in ways that are kind of funny to look back on now. So I'm kind of glad I got to share rereading this with you three. Oh, thank you. Even if yeah. Chris hated it, like he hates all children. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. That's a fair statement. Slight clarification. I didn't hate it. Yeah. But I do, but I wanted it to be better. Uh, but it, it does, I don't know. I think that if you're someone who doesn't read a lot of manga, which is <laughs> theoretically what this podcast is about, I think that there's a lot here, especially if you like sci-fi, I think there's a lot here to enjoy. Like, honestly, uh, my husband has been rewatching Star Trek Voyager on Netflix because we're all in lockdown and he just needs something to have on in the background. Mm-hmm. And this is better than most Voyager episodes. <laughs> and that was made into a million dollar an episode TV series. Wow. <laughs> Put that quote on the back. Yeah. Wow. Like that, you know, it gets a little better in the sixth and seventh seasons. But uh, yeah, this is like totally like the characters are more consistent and like they they have more lines they know what to do with them more anyway whatever yeah. but like this is better than this is better than things that get that are much more well known so i don't i don't think that this is undeserving of an audience i think that somebody's going to read this and love it and you look at the reviews at the time and they are unanimously positive yeah you know like deb is on the uh, wikipedia page for this book uh, talking about <laughs> yeah talking about how much she liked it which I think is fun. Oh, so wait, David's got a quote on the back of one of these. Deb's yeah. quoted in the Wikipedia page. Yeah. I've never felt like this is such a novice. <laughs> it's amazing. Deb with funny lives. It made me feel like said. I should blog again because all the my critiques on Twitter are just so ephemeral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deb, apparently you... You praised the crisp and straightforward graphic storytelling, but criticized the unimaginative character designs, saying, do all Japanese schoolgirls look like siblings, just with different hairstyles? Wow. <laughs> wow, consistent. I, I still yeah, feel the same. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I haven't had the heart to go reread my review, um, <laughs> but I'm sure it's fine. A staggering work of genius. Staggering work of genius. Is that what your quote was? No, I hope not. <laughs> well, okay, so I, I, just, I just assumed this was you because the, the quote on the back was just Comics Alliance. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you said, the lack of easy outs keeps 7 billion needles fresh 
and manages to bring the 60-year-old story into the present day in an all-new setting with aplomb. That sounds like me. I like these of aplomb. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. But all right, so we'll take a quick break for some sponsorship messages and to kind of cool Chris off a little bit, and then we'll get back to it. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome back from what was hopefully a very profitable sponsorship message. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how these things work. I I just assume that, you know, there's a scale to these uh, kind of things. (laughs) But there's one last thing I want to talk about with 7 Billion Needles and manga more generally, which is that it includes the the short story that 7 Billion Needles was based on, the pilot chapter. And this is something we don't see very often in American comics. And essentially... a cartoonist will sit down and do an entire first chapter of a story or maybe a short story version of a longer ongoing series then fans will vote on it editors will kind of uh take a look at it they'll publish it and get a reaction for it and then they'll publish a new chapter one as part of the ongoing series Hiro oda did this with one piece uh, i found out that actually i think it happened with dragon ball as well which i would love to see what the pilot dragon ball looked like hmm. and with this book with seven billion needles it includes a short story called uh, Hikikomori Headphone Girl, which is essentially kind of tackling the same themes as the graphic novel we just read, but completely differently. It's more of a futuristic sci-fi than like space alien sci-fi. And it stars a girl and her hallucination as she kind of comes to grips with being alone and getting to know people again. But Chrissy said something about how she's not a strictly defined hikikomori and i think this story kind of explains why because her version of being shut in is having like her headphones on and reality shut out yeah but that doesn't excuse all the trauma and whatnot yeah she doesn't seem to have that same like it's a different it's based obviously like a prototype character yeah um, in this story and she does seem much more like the hikikomori character archetype um in this story than she does in the main story where she's actually dealing with trauma and things. In this one, she's really trying to shut out the outside world to the, to the point where she puts on her headphones in the fir- on the first page and all the, all the sort of background characters become white outlines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and for the rest of the story, they just are hollow because she can't hear them. They're trying to interact with her. She can't really see them. Like it's, it's such an effective piece of visual storytelling. I, I actually love this pilot chapter. I think this is wow. so much stronger than the main story. Even. <laughs> and maybe it's just because it's less ambitious, but um, more successful at the things mm-hmm. it does. There's only one girl character. So the girl character face problem doesn't, doesn't <laughs> pop up at all, which is great. Or so I you was kind of, or so you think, yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is just hollowed out, so it's fine. I actually was kind of thrown by the like the cute boy that's her hallucination ends up getting turned into the first murderer. I uh, guess to get like the maelstrom uh, in the in the in the in the, the full ongoing series. But yeah, there's something here about the 
the artwork that is more stylized and idiosyncratic. It's got a little bit of a, I also, I almost want to say like a Magnola vibe in terms of the angularity and the harsh blacks and whites that, that huh. the author is using. It, it's just, it seems, it's more successful to me. It's much, much more successful. And the, the idea of it that the sci-fi trope in this one is, um, they change the music she's listening to on her headphones and it induces this hallucination that tries to break her out of her sociopathy and her loneliness and her, the things that she's going through. That is a sci-fi trope I think is so, so good, like so successful. Yeah. I really, really liked it. And I could see why you, you know, you submit this short story and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this guy's got it. Let's see what he's got for like a, like a full series, a full run. And you know, it's it's the difference between having unlimited time to do one short story to submit for a contest or something like that and having to hit the monthly deadline. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. But I do think it's it's also interesting because the story is very different um mm-hmm. when it's adapted into the full length and I like this better and that doesn't usually doesn't usually happen. Uh, I try to read one shots. Do you guys read again? Everyone but Chip. Uh, do you guys read manga one shots very often, like Such as... short stories and things like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like anthology stories. Yeah. I find I am gravitating more towards those lately, and I think it's because there's less stress on the authors. You got a one shot. You could tell the story you want to tell. Whereas if you've got to have a serialization, if your if your work is getting voted on every issue to see if the author the readers like it or not and then the editors use those votes to change the story's direction to make it make the, the readers like it more like i feel like anthologies and short story collections are kind of where my head's at a lot of the time these days or just artists that are totally idiosyncratic and don't listen to editors but, uh, <laughs> that's it's, that's kind of where my head's at as a creator these days too mm. because like you know having worked on image series you kind of, you hope things hit and maybe they don't and maybe you stretch it out. Maybe you don't like mm-hmm. you have an idea for an ending in mind, but we'll come at issue 20 or issue 40. And like, uh, there's so much at play there that it feels kind of less satisfying to construct the narrative mm-hmm. because there's a lot of factors kind of to, to consider. And, and, and most of the, the work I've done lately has been like I did after Live with Comicsology, and that was five issues, and White Trees with Image, and that was you know two large issues, and and that's it, it's much more satisfying, and you can put more time and care into something that's shorter, yeah, I think, absolutely, and and give it a consistency, and like I I also like this a lot, and I, I may have liked it better than the, the main story, like Chris, but not as emphatically. Uh, the the clearly there was a lot more time spent on the drawing. But also the drawing lacked consistency. Like it was clearly drawn by somebody still figuring things out. Like you yeah. can even see like her shape change size throughout. Like sometimes she looks yeah. like she's like <laughs> twenty five. Sometimes she looks like she's twelve. Like there are, there are definitely you know there are there are learning steps in there. But yeah, the, the it, it felt more sci fi than the the uh, the main story. The main story felt fantasy to me, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. I mean, once you get into aliens and like, I feel like techno babble is inherently a fantasy thing. Yeah. And I'm sure that would probably make a lot of sci-fi people angry, but like, it's all magic. Like if you, if yeah. it's just some magic has decimal points, I suppose. Yeah. It's, 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 Cause mm. it's like, I mean, sci-fi is 
is science fiction. Like, yeah, like you, you have to extrapolate a real science for it to actually be science fiction. All the spec fic um, nerds right now listening are fucking just bawling their fists <laughs> with rage. But it's just, I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just what it is. You have to think about what's current in, mm-hmm. in terms of science and, and think about what could happen down the line in, in terms of science. And so stuff like this, it's just like just so loosey-goosey when it comes to that stuff. Mm. What the characters do, how they change form, what these voices are. Like, Yeah, it definitely feels more fantasy and the pilot feels uh more sci-fi uh deb how was it for you i actually don't didn't remember reading this before mm. <laughs> so it felt fresh um i agree with everyone's what's everyone's saying about the art being much uh more crisp it's the story being fa- fairly satisfying in an, as a as a standalone mm-hmm. mm. I, I but i can definitely see that that it, it is perfect as is you know like i can't see it being extended to a longer story um mm-hmm. i yeah. can yeah. you know i can i can see that where it it inspire it creates a launching off point for the seven billion needles but mm-hmm. uh yeah i don't know i think it's a neat little i think it's a neat little concept right that somewhat because at, at a certain point you would see people like that all over town right people mm-hmm. wearing headphones and completely shut off from the world. Yeah. I like the idea of like a virtual intervention like that mm. or hallucination intervention, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that all of you uh, like the art better in this one because I think I'm the opposite. I think the story is definitely better. I agree with you all on that front, mm. but I wish it was drawn like the, uh, the graphic novel story, like 7 billion needles a little bit. Mm. Maybe it was the inconsistency that you guys mentioned or just the way that she's drawn like a little bit. She feels older in this story. Yeah. So much older. It's, that last panel, she looks like an office lady, like an OL, you know? It's weird. Yeah. The, the art is like, I don't know if it's better. I, I think I think in the main story, there are definitely better pages and, mm-hmm. and better mm-hmm. scenes and uh, better technical skills at points. Oh, but for sure. But so much of the main story is drawn in a, a very rushed fashion. Yeah. And, and that's just that's With, just with what it so is, much right? going on, there's so much visual texture. It's yeah. so, many, mm-hmm. so, much, so many lines, so much, you know, gooey, you know, tentacles and blah, 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 all over the place. Yeah, yeah. It's a little hard <laughs> to follow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the pilot, it, there are more pages that are obviously photo traced. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is this is the photo trace. We talked about Yotsuba. Yeah. Chris, yeah. Chris mentioned it being photo trace, but this is the difference here. That was computer-generated stuff, and this is clear photo tracing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it actually happens a lot in the main graphic novel, but only in sequences where they're in city spaces, or even the classrooms, I think, are, are a little bit photographed. Which makes sense, because uh, that, that, both of those things are a pain in the ass to draw. Yeah. yeah, like you'd need a team of assistants to, to hit that out on a monthly <laughs> but schedule. But I think they're better integrated in the graphic novel section as well. Mm. Like there's growth between the two, I think. I was just going to say, if I if we were at Emerald City, because we've mm-hmm. all been to Emerald City Comic Con, if we were at Emerald City and someone was selling this as like a mini comic or a self-published or first issue from a small publisher, this would be like a revelation. Like people would lose their shit over this book this this like backup issue and then you would want to see what came next and 
you know, I don't think seven million needles. I think it would be the kind of thing that would actually do okay in the market today. Mm-hmm. The way it was <laughs> released at the time, it didn't didn't quite do as well. It's it's sad too. All those books that you mentioned, People Chew and and Twin Speaker and this, all didn't do that great at times. And uh, Twin Speaker in particular, those last volumes are like a thousand dollars a volume now because the print runs were so Crap. low. People <laughs> discovered them so late. Like this went to volume four, and by the fourth volume, they'd cut the print runs to the point where like volume four is now two hundred bucks. Twitspeaker went to 11, not just in a Spinal Tap way, but like kept going. <laughs> and I remember when that was coming out, people would come in looking for those those books and be like, they already had a print. Like we ordered tons and it, you know, our our good old sci-fi, Donald and David, if you're listening, what's up? Uh, sci-fi comics uh, manga buyers picked it up and loved it. It's one of their favorites, but yeah, it is, it is so, really expensive. So sorry. So this book, which upon its release got good public reviews mm-hmm. by David and Deb. <laughs> It was pre-manga splaining. Uh, so yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's humbling, isn't it? Like that, yeah. That's how little yeah. we moved the needle on this one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you should look at the wiki. The reception is like people have the same, have some similar problems that we do, but like really, this this is a this is a book for manga critics. Like they love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and I think also uh, the manga f- reviewing field at that point, there were a lot of really passionate librarians as well. Yeah, there were people yeah. who like actually could have placed this book where it needed to be. I think if you, I think if Kodansha's listening, and I have no reason. Actually, I haven't listened to the first episode, so someone at Kodansha's listening. I think that this, as a as a two volume bind up, or ideally a one volume, but people don't like to do eight hundred page uh, manga <laughs> volumes, but like a two volume bind up. I think it would be released into a very different market, particularly if they went with the original covers that made it look more manga and anime, because. Mm-hmm. Frankly, the kids who are buying manga and anime today have way more buying power uh, than the adults <laughs> who want something that looks like a 60s penguin throwback, even if it's beautifully designed and we all actually really loved it. But yeah, this is the kind of thing that if we released and repackaged a little bit, I think could be very successful. And I think it's on the strength of how much this last story resonated with me, like being depressed. This is something that I, especially as a teenager, but you know, even today deal with this idea that like reaching you through your music and, you know, through a cute boy. uh, Yeah. That's something that resonates. That's absolutely something that resonates. And I think Mm -hmm. that main story, if it resonated with 10 years ago, David absolutely will resonate with all the 10 years ago, David's uh, and Deb's uh, that are out there as well today. So, and there's no penises in it. So it could be in the library. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. That's true. (laughs) 16 plus. (laughs) Yeah. Does that, does that, that floating, Man with no penis resonate with you, Chris? <laughs> it's the vibrations off. Let's put it that way. Hey, crystalline entity reference. That's two Star Treks for the price of one. People, nice. yeah. There's no ogres in this one. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> yeah, there's no no beefy ogre dudes. Want want. But before before we wrap up this section too, I, I wanted yeah. to bring up something. Uh, I realized after last episode when we got the uh, the question from mm. the reader. Mm-hmm. Which was about Akira, or about writing, reading right to left? Reading, reading right to left. I, I, I pieced together afterwards something that's been going on with me since we started this podcast, which mm-hmm. I, is I've been doing things backwards. What? Like, so the two big things have been, instead of turning on the cold faucet, I've been turning on the hot faucet. Okay. The <laughs> and then, like getting a glass of water I'm like why is this water warm I'm like oh shit like wh- what's going on and uh the other thing is my key when i go to lock the door when i go to leave 
uh, I'm unlocking it and I'm walking away <laughs> and I'm leaving the door open. That's huh. amazing. Yeah. So, so, so something, and I was like, why am I doing this? And then I piece it together after the last um, podcast with the, with the right to left questions. I'm just like, Oh, something's happening in my head where I'm starting to do things just a little bit backwards. Um, I have because... never heard of this from anybody. <laughs> this is brand new. It's really weird. But like when I think about it, like, like reading comics, like it's just a thing that I do mm-hmm. like left, right, left, right, left, right, constantly. And to switch that up for me and, and it's hit the point where it's very natural now. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's rewiring things. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm going to turn the wrong way down a street and die as a result of this <laughs> podcast. Read manga, it'll prevent Alzheimer's. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I started to think that, too, because, you know, as I get older and, you know, I'm forgetting things a lot more often now mm-hmm. that maybe this is good for me to actually like train my brain to do something different like this. Mm, so, I think so. So this, will, this podcast will either this podcast will either save my life or it will be the end of me. <laughs> well, who could ask for more? Traffic. I know. <laughs> Fucking high stakes, bro. Right. <laughs> it's a little high stakes, but I thought I'd b- mention that. Uh, on the note of reader letters, we actually don't have any this week, but we do have comments that people have started leaving on mangasplaining.com on the uh, on the blog on the show notes that I've oh, really? been writing and oh, that like I what? have to. Well, the, the comments this week that I wanted to read out um, was make uh, $900 a week from home. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. That's that's what we're doing with this podcast, right? With the sponsor breaks. So glad I found this about this podcast and even more glad you made a Akira Volume 1 the focus of the first episode. I believe it would be possible to do an entire podcast on the different versions of Akira. I don't think there is a definitive version. But the Marvel Epic ed- Edition, Otomo did redraw some of the art for the Marvel Edition over the Japanese Edition. The most famous uh, uh, redrawing of which is that first fil- uh, full-on view of Takeshi, who's the the escaped psychic boy. And he links to a thread here. So if you're, if you're listening, if you want to go to mangasplaining.com, the episode one comments there's a link to a couple of to a big big thread on the marvel epic edition of akira that's actually really interesting wow awesome thank you miguel uh, cordy for leaving a comment that's uh, really cool anyway and he wants to add anyway not much to add between the great show and the informative links looking forward to upcoming episodes and to seeing if any manga breaks chip mm, yeah. i hope uh, we get one that breaks you too buddy i, I have one mention- in mind <laughs> oh uh, I should also point out because I'm keeping track a bit of Twitter account for manga explaining. There was a comment that uh, I wanted to read out to you guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, someone named Ian Wolf says, uh, "Enjoying series so far. In the most recent episode, you say Rumiko Takahashi is the most published Japanese cartoonist in English. Four or five thousand pages of imprint comics. I did some calculations. If you take oh. every series that has been printed in English by Clamp, they total over thirty thousand pages." Subasa Reservoir Chronicle alone has around 5,400. I don't know Whoa. what Clamp is, so I did not respond. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about I forgot about Clamp. They haven't really What's released Clamp? anything Who's in a while. Clamp? Do you remember when Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, and Howard Jake and all had a studio together? Yes, Matt pointed out to me one time when we were in New York. Yeah, it's Clamp is like that, but for female cartoonists in Japan, where they've just cranked out a bunch of books together. Okay. And my understanding is they're all very weird. A lot of them are extremely good, and everyone has strong feelings about all of them. So I don't okay. want to say too much, but uh, definitely like a seminal like comics collective. Yeah, really okay. powerful female, all female comics collective, hugely influential in the '90s. Takahashi was more the '80s and then onwards, mm-hmm. and changed the look of things. 
Yeah, that's so that's like, really uh, interesting. Like, I don't know if I would count it because it's it's they like each author. There's four people in the, in the group, and each one takes a sort of different role with every series that they do. And so the series, you know, there is a general uniformity to a book by Clamp, but it does look very different. It can look very very different from vol- from from book to book, volume to volume, even sometimes. And it's uh, yeah, that's that's fascinating. I would you know, it's not maybe in the scope of this podcast, but I'd love to go take a look at those numbers because yeah yeah it might that might be that Mm. he might have a point there because i think between those two creators they have a they have a certain cred or a certain fan Mm. appeal that publishers felt like they could publish anything they did and feel pretty confident it would sell that that's not a given right i mean because there's some i've heard some comments from uh, i forget who where it says oh you know there's too much of that of stuff out by that author in print now, and it ha- hasn't sold very well, so we're not gonna mm. we're not gonna do more. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, whereas this with Clamp, it's like you could you could publish your entire catalog, and it would probably sell. And Kodansha is actually doing that now, where much like Akira, um, <laughs> which was originally published by Dark Horse, a lot of the Clamp works were published by Dark Horse and are now being reprinted in these collector editions by Kodansha. And Tokyo Pop too, so mm. like, mm. but that was <laughs> Chip. We'll tell you all about manga history a little bit at a <laughs> yeah. time, but yeah, the the Clamp Tokyo Pop story is is oh, real wow. good. It's real yeah. good. Ooh, this sounds. Right. We'll save it for a uh, very well, special episode. Yeah, we'll yeah. Save it. We'll, We're getting long. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, we we should uh, we should remember to. Although I have I have a violent time. reaction to Clamp. Like I find their work, I find their work to be very pretty. But yeah. story-wise, deeply disappointing. Mm. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. So it'll be a while before we get there. Okay, all right. Yeah. So we should probably wrap up with a couple of shout-outs. Uh, I hear at least half of the show has something to say. <laughs> <laughs> Deb, do you want to go first, and then we'll close out with Chris? Let's see. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll share what I got in the mail today. It's called Beauty and the Feast. It's from Square Enix. Oh, basically, yeah, it's yeah. a cook. It's kind of a food manga, but it's about a a young a woman who lost her husband, and she is feeling kind of depressed and out of sorts. And next, a high school boy moves in next door who's uh, a baseball scholarship student. So she, he's been eating convenience store food because he lives by himself. So she starts cooking for him. It's um got some shota vibes I was to gonna it ask. that make me <laughs> kind of uncomfortable sorry what is that uh shota you know like you know like lolicon is about like older men and younger women shotacon is about older women and younger men it sounds all right <laughs> there was a whole south park about that there's Just a whole that chapter nice that, that nice gif so I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with this book but i gave yeah. it a read and um there's this whole there's a whole chapter on her buying a $700 rice cooker because the boy likes to eat rice. That's, uh, this sounds great. Um, uh, so how old, how old is the boy and how old is she? She he's before 16 I get too and deep into she's this? 28. Okay, it's not right. <laughs> I, I, when you said baseball scholarship, I'm like, oh, he's like 23. Uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I take yeah. back everything. Please, please yeah. don't come at me. Yeah. <laughs> As a counterpoint to Deb's shout out, 
<laughs> and this one, they're adults because it says it on the cover. This is a new book from uh, Seven Seas that I have really been anticipating coming out. It's called Even Though We're Adults. It's two ladies, one of whom is an out lesbian and one of whom is in a marriage that's on the rocks. And uh, they meet at a bar and they both sort of think that nothing's going to happen and something's going to happen and they have to deal with the like repercussions. The lady who's an out lesbian is like, oh my God, I can't believe I you know, another wishy-washy straight girl and I fell for her. This is awful. And the other one was like, maybe my whole life has been a lie up until this point and I actually have to do something about it. Like, it's really, uh, it's, uh, I'm just, just starting it, but everyone I know that's read it has loved it and I'm very excited about. Uh, is that, is that the one Jocelyn translated? Did Jocelyn, yeah, yeah. I think we maybe, yeah. oh, maybe we talked about this in one of we our did. last in-person get-togethers where this is one yeah. I really wanted to uh, see in English and Seven Seas picked it up, which is great. So yeah, it's it's so my thing that Andrew even brought it home for me, not knowing that it was something I wanted to read. Oh, that's wonderful. It's just like, this came in, do you want to read this? And I'm like, actually, yeah, uh, nice. it's great. So uh, it's uh, out from Seven Seas. It's a rare book about grownups, everything Everything we read is seems to be about like aggressive teens, but don't worry. Next week it's about aggressive, violent preteens. So we're good. We're good. There. <laughs> we're covering nice. all the bases here. Well, you can you can recommend that next time, Chris. Uh, maybe I will, or maybe, maybe I won't. We'll see. I'll read it first, and we'll see if it's oh, see if it holds up. By but the I way, think speaking of Seven Seas, I want to give a shout out to them for licensing Common Rider. Oh, oh really? Yeah. yeah. I know what that is. Like that. Well, yeah, Kip, we went to the museum Kip, of we that. Went, we went to a museum. We went to an entire museum of it. So now I know what it is. <laughs> so I can't wait till it comes out so we can make you read it and you can so we're like, oh, that's why. This uh, is a yeah. whole museum of I this. I've never, seen, the... I've never seen David happier than it. It'll be great. <laughs> we're so into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Your manga, your manga knowledge is like, no, I haven't read very much. I don't really know much about it. But I, I do know Common Writer because I went to the museum that was dedicated <laughs> to the creator <laughs> in like the north of Japan that even fucking Mongo Taku in Japan haven't been to this museum because it's kind of a pain in the ass to get to. Yeah, yeah, I went there. I, you know, it was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, but I have no, I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> so, so good. Yeah. I'm like the guy who's not a foodie that just ends up at Michelin star restaurants for some reason. <laughs> I think that's kind of true. <laughs> It's kind of true. It's yeah. kind of my life. Yeah. You're such a good sport because we, we took you to all these places. That were, well, it's all really interesting. I don't have the connection to it, but, you know. Still, you can form uh, the connection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So That's what this, mo- this podcast is all about. Yeah. Forming connections, just like young Hikaru in uh, Seven Billion Needles, which we just read and had a really good conversation about. But this has been Manga Explaining. Uh, on behalf of Deb Aoki, Chris Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky, I'm David Brothers, and we are out of here. This has been Manga Explaining, Episode 9, Seven Billion Needles by Nobuaki Tadano published by Vertical Inc. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Tekon Kinkri by Tayo Matsumoto, published by Viz Media. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book or manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.